Hey, thanks so much for joining us at our Red Rocks Church podcast. If you're new here, we're just a bunch of broken, messed up, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. We hope that this message encourages your heart, builds your faith so that you can say yes to all of the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Enjoy this message. Come on, make some noise, Red Rocks Church. Are you happy to be alive? You guys look great. Hey, let's welcome all of our locations, including all three God Behind Bars campuses, Brussels, Belgium, Austin, Texas. My goodness, we love you guys. Man, it feels good in here. Hey, thank you for bringing it. Thank you for showing up, expecting and shifting the atmosphere in this space with your faith. You may take a seat wherever you are. Thank you, Sean and Jill, for being the best pastors on the planet. Thank you for the love, the encouragement, the dinners, the Dairy Queen blizzards, the opportunities and having so much faith in our Austin team. I just, I love you guys so much. And while I am not gonna cry, I am very, very grateful to be here. And uh, it's clear, uh, because we're talking about sex today, that Sean just thought, which one of our pastors knows most about this topic? (laughs) Oh, come on, I kid, I kid. Sean and Ronnie both have three kids, I only have two, and sex is only for procreation, church. No, how many are grateful? That's not true. Let's go. Well, as you can clearly see, I am celebrating what we call in Austin, Texas, Monarch March. Not, not rocking, but sporting the number one dad shoe of all time, the Nike Air Monarch. Great for doing taxes, great for mowing your lawn. On sale at Kohl's, comes with Oakley's and a spatula. Get yours today. I'm just hoping this moment makes a movement, Sam. Ronnie, that's a good book title. Moments to Movements, A Monarch March Story. That is good, man. I mean, a sexy sermon requires sexy shoes. It just does. It's not even my choice. I have have no say in this. God made me do this. Today we are talking about sex. Why, you ask? Well, because sex was God's idea. He made it and he called it good. Sex is an obsession of our culture. And all of us, in some way, shape, or form, are affected by it, okay? Some of us are engaging in it. Some of us just think about it all the time. Some of us have been hurt by it or abused or misinformed. Some of us were exposed far too young. Some of us are parents trying to figure out how the heck to have the talk. Some of us, uh, like me, have a history of pornography and, and promiscuity. Some of us have made purity an idol, And we grew up being taught sex is bad and don't do it. And that's just all we heard. Some of us are just trying to stay out of other people's DMs. Long story short, all of us are affected. So let's talk about it for the sake of ourselves and for our kids and for our grandkids. We need to detaboo this topic in the church and release whatever traditions you might have of keeping S-E-X, hush hush, in the Lord's house. We're all, we're all in this together. And regardless of whatever struggle or story you might have that makes you feel isolated in a crowded church, I am telling you, you are not as alone as you think you are. 
dating, single, married, engaged, divorced, thriving, struggling, hurting. Welcome to Red Rocks. There are no second-class citizens in our church. Amen. Hey, let me remind you before we do anything else that Jesus is both grace and truth, and you have to have both, especially when it comes to topics like this. I've heard it said, truth without grace just ends up being mean. And a lot of you are, are wounded by hearing this topic preached in church because that's how you heard it, all truth and no grace. However, grace without truth just ends up being meaningless. But grace and truth together, that is good medicine. That's good medicine, that Jesus loves you exactly the way you walked in here today, and that's called grace, but he loves you way too much to let you walk out of here the same, and that is called truth. That it's okay, it's okay to not be okay, and it's okay to be stuck, and that's called grace. It is not okay to stay there when Jesus has made a way, and that is called truth. The grace of Jesus comes in and redeems us, and puts and shuts up shame and reminds all of us that you never have been nor will you ever be better at sinning than Jesus is at saving. Oh, we take grace seriously here at Red Rocks. I've been having all of our leaders help me pastor the atmosphere of faith and grace in all of our rooms, our campuses, in your AirPods. You've got to hear this message today through the filter of grace or else you will miss the heart of God. Do not downplay grace's ability to come in and make you a new creation and give you a new future regardless of your past. His mercies are new every single morning. Every breath is a second chance with our God. Do not downplay grace and do not downplay grace's divine dance partner, truth. All truth belongs to God. Truth is for you. Truth loves you. Truth convicts us forward and realigns us and challenges us and changes us and makes us better and more like Jesus. And all truth belongs to God like a North Star that cares about you finding your way. Yet in our culture, when it comes to sex, we let people define what they didn't make. Church, God made sex. It was his idea. And so for the next few moments, regardless of reality TV or porn websites or what your friends say or what schools teach or how you were raised or how you feel, can we just let the word of God be our standard of truth? That with grace, can we let our good dad give us some timeless truth today? Does that sound good? Can you turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you can handle the truth. You can. You can turn to your second neighbor, your second choice for whatever reason and say, neighbor, you give him the title of my message and you say, all you need is some sexy vision. How do you like this title? For a sermon in the Lord's house, sexy vision. My goodness, we better pray before we do anything else. God, we love you. I pray away shame guilt and condemnation right now in Jesus name. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Life is just simply too good and too short to waste it with nonsense like that. I thank you for this atmosphere of grace I already feel. God, would you download a bigger and better vision for love, marriage, and sex, your vision into the hearts of every soul beneath the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Let's do this. 
Scotty, that was beautiful. Thanks, man. I'll just be here if you need me. Okay, Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 21. Do you guys remember Father Abraham, who had the many sons? Okay, the first son he had is Isaac. So here we go. Genesis 25, starting in 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your future spouse. Apparently, God likes that. Skip ahead to 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. I love that God was like, yeah, yeah, put that detail in there. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau, which in Hebrew is Chewbacca. Don't fact check that, Sam. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. And so Esau is clearly uh, this hairy, just tough, outdoorsy, manly man, clearly red, wild at heart. And Jacob is the very first mama's boy that history ever records. Look, Isaac, Papa Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, he loved Esau, of course he did, but Mama Rebecca loved Jacob. Parents picked favorites in the Old Testament. Never works out. Once when Jacob was cooking some soup, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew because I'm, I'm famished. But Jacob replied, okay, first though, first, sell me your birthright. Now pause. As the oldest son, Esau had a birthright that made him heir to Abraham's blessing. So if you remember, a couple generations prior to this, God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you the father of a nation. Your descendants will be more than the stars in the sky. Everything you do will thrive. This was his birthright, which he passed down to his son Isaac, who was going to pass it on to Esau. I heard Levi Lusco preach that Esau was given everything from God, you guys, everything, the ultimate destiny, the ultimate future, until his little brother offers him an immediate, in the moment, fix for his hunger. A bowl of soup, just so we're all on the same page. My gosh, I hope it was a good bowl of soup. Esau says, this is so dramatic, look! I'm about to die. What good is my birthright to me? So this is the first account of being hangry. Oh, I'm so hungry. I could die. What good is my future to me? Fine, let's make the trade. But Jacob, cunning Jacob said, okay, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright, his future, his destiny, his destiny, God's ultimate for an immediate to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some soup. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So he traded God's ultimate best for the world's immediate good. Thank God none of us know what that feels like. 
And in case you're wondering if Esau ever regretted it, Hebrews 12, 16 and 17, watch out for the Esau syndrome. I love the Bible even has a term for it. What is Esau syndrome? Trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know Esau, he later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late, tears or no tears. So I wanna take that framework and talk about sex today. Trading God's ultimate best for the world's immediate good. So first things first, we have to acknowledge sex was not culture's idea, this was God's idea. Can I get an amen? The very first gift and command God ever gives humanity in the garden is be fruitful and multiply. I hear people say all the time, oh, the Bible's just a big book of rules. And uh, okay, it's not. First and foremost, it's a story. But if you're gonna say that, you gotta be fair and be consistent and acknowledge the fact that the very first rule is to have a lot of sex, okay? Think about it this way. God could have solved the procreation problem another way. He could have made a baby garden that just grows babies. You need a new baby, one just sprouts up. But God, the God of the universe in his infinite wisdom, praise his name, decided to make baby making fun. And squirm and giggle, but this is our God. I see some of you right now just tight booties, clammy hands, all embarrassed. We're talking about, we're talking about sex in church, but this is his vision. He's the designer, so let's let him define it, okay? Let's let God define it, because I understand Esau, the Esau syndrome is something that is in every human heart, trading God's ultimate best for the world's immediate good, and I am convinced Beyond the shadow of a doubt, the reason we do that so quickly is because we lack vision. Listen to me. This is not a sermon about not sinning. This is a message about not settling. When you lack vision, you will settle. When you have vision, you won't. I want to challenge you. You need to get some better and bigger vision for your love life, your marriage, your future marriage, your your sex life, your future sex life. I know this sounds weird and a little crazy, but God has a vision for your sex life. He really does, and it is good. That's what he called it in Genesis. It is good, and he, he designed it. Let's let him define it, okay? And I think we can go straight to the Bible and we can see three things right away other than procreation that God intended for sex to be. God made sex to be passionate, intimate, and powerful. So you can write number one down in your color-coded diary. (laughs) Big and bold, right there. How do you like these notes in church? Sex is passionate. Sex is passionate, so here we go. Back in the garden, um, I just picture Adam all by himself, sitting on a rock, naming animals, bored out of his mind for years. Giraffe, oh gosh, I don't know, flamingo, frog. By the way, whoever named the frog nailed it with that name. Those things are frogs. Name fits the animal, you know what I mean? Eagle. Oh, I don't know, hawk. And then God assesses the situation and observes it's not good for this fool to be alone. It's almost like God made the male and thought, "Ah, I can do better than that. (laughs) Sneaks up behind Adam, divine sleeper hold, shh, shh, shh. (laughs) 
takes a rib from his side and makes Eve, and then Adam wakes up from his nap, and the first thing he sees is his naked wife. This is a good moment for Adam, and true story, starts singing the first song ever recorded in history. So let's recap God's vision for sex up until this point. A husband and a wife, naked and unashamed, together in an all-inclusive paradise with the command from God to have a lot of sex, okay? Sex is passionate. This is his vision, but that doesn't get taught a lot in church. Sex is unfortunately 100% a pedestal sin in modern day Christianity. It might as well be on par with your salvation, your purity. A lot of us were taught you want to be a Christian where you got to believe in your heart, confess with your tongue, and stay a virgin. You better not be having sex until you're married. We were warned lust was bad, but never taught desire is good. And that's hard to shake. You following me? You find that out day two of your honeymoon. All of a sudden, this is okay. When I spent my my whole life beneath this weight of keep your questions quiet and don't be gross, don't have sex, or you will get pregnant and die. But Matt Chandler once said, sex was not the devil's idea. Look at me. It is not secular. It is not shameful. We were made sexual a chapter before we became sinful. Now, we pollute it and pervert it, absolutely, but the pure and beautiful gift came straight from God's imagination. Satan did not sneak in and whisper the idea for sex to Adam and Eve, and then God comes back from Target after running errands, home to Eden, sees Adam and Eve and goes, no, Adam, you get off of her, you pervert. That is not what I gave you that for, Adam. That's not what happened. It was God who said, be fruitful and multiply. It was also God who said, eat and drink your fill of love. Enjoy each other. His vision for love and sex is all throughout the Bible. His passionate vision is all throughout it. Here's just one verse from Proverbs. It is PG-13, Conrad, earmuffs, Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. I'm just reading the word of God here. That's all I'm doing. May you ever be, what's that word? Intoxicated with her love. God wants you to have a passionate sex life, okay? Your desire to experience passion and pleasure is not sinful, it is godly. He gave that to you, you're not shocking him. There's an entire book in the middle of the Bible called Song of Songs, which is a collection of very explicit and erotic songs and poems about a husband and a wife enjoying the gifts of love and sex with each other. And it's so graphic, Hebrew boys were not allowed to read it. And so apparently God's actually not a party pooper who's just trying to rob the fun away from your life. And apparently what you actually need is a bigger, better vision of sex than the bowls of soup the world is trying to offer you. You need to leave church today wanting more for you because when you know the vision of what God has for you, his ultimate best, you're not gonna trade it for an immediate 
good. Sex was created, church, created, divinely designed by a divine designer to be passionate. Number two, sex is intimate. Genesis 2:24, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, they become one flesh. Sex was created to unite the souls of two people. In the Old Testament, this is the Hebrew word dod. I love this. Dod meaning this, the mingling of souls. Now, in the context of marriage, you can see why that is absolutely amazing. But outside of that context, it can be incredibly risky and dangerous because once your soul mingles with another, it does not just bind you physically, but spiritually as well. And this is why your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend was never quite the same again once you had sex. It has this strange way of spiritually clouding your judgment. We all have that story of that friend. I've had that friend and I've been that friend who got into that relationship that quickly became toxic and, and unhealthy and it's so painfully obvious and clear to everybody else except that person and nine times out of 10, it's because... They're sleeping together because contrary to popular belief, sex is not just physical, it is deeply spiritual. So much so, guys, it is the tool, like the tool. God gives a husband and a wife to become one flesh, which is why it is made to be experienced within the safety of an I'm not going anywhere kind of covenant, amen? Now, Movies and TV shows and a lot of your friends will say, relax, take a chill pill, it's just sex, it's just physical, but please, you do not have to agree with me on anything else today, Jesus, God, anything, but do not tell me that you believe sex is just physical. You got more common sense than to tell me sex is just physical, if sex is just physical, then why is there so much shame involved? And if sex is just physical, why are you so secretive about pornography? And if it's just physical, then why is it that that incident when you were little, that wasn't even your fault? Why is it that it's still stuck to you decades later? And why is it that women who get physically assaulted, why are they 10 times more likely to report it than women who are sexually assaulted? It's because sex is not just physical. It marks you in a deep way. And in the right context, it creates soul intimacy. In the wrong context, it can create soul injury. Because not only is sex passionate and intimate, but number three, sex is powerful. Powerful. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Paul's writing this, by the way, to the church in Corinth, a sex-saturated city. So he might as well be writing this to us right now. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. So right away, I'm like, that's, that's dramatic, Paul. Flee, ooh, from sexual immorality. Here's what I'll say. Do not call wisdom legalism. Flee from sexual immorality. 
because it's not like other sin. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So when I talk to people over coffee about their their greatest regrets, and I actually do this a lot as a pastor, nobody ever mentions those jeans they stole from Abercrombie, and nobody talks about that math test they cheated on, or that casino vault they robbed in Vegas with those 10 other guys. Nobody, Nobody talks about that stuff. They talk about deeper things. They talk about the stuff that marked their souls, that one night stand, that that incident, that moment, that that two-year sexual relationship. Why? Because those things stick. Because sex might just be, seriously, the most powerful thing under the sun, and God knows that, which is why he gives us rules, boundaries, and guidelines, okay? That's why he does that, because he, he cares, not because he's trying to rob your passion. We just saw that's not true, and not because he's the cosmic killjoy up in the sky that see, he so often gets painted as. If that's your view of God, the healthiest thing you can do for your soul today is to get that nonsense, fake, fictitious version of God out of your mind, because that's not him. That's not accurate. If he's God, by definition, he's got nothing to gain from taking a single thing from you. He's not trying to shut down your party early. He's trying to help you. It's called being a good dad. If you buy a a chainsaw from Home Depot, they give you a manual with guidelines. Is that because Home Depot hates you? That's because they understand the power of the machine they just sold you, and they care about you keeping your arms. God is good, okay? The devil's just a good liar and he distorts the truth to make it seem like the world's living it up out there and everybody's finding what they're looking for and the word Christian is synonymous with boring. The devil's a liar. Take an honest inventory and observation. The world has sexual patterns and they are working right now for nobody, for nobody. And here's the thing, I wish they were, man. We live in a sex-saturated culture that is wildly unhappy. Like Lusco says, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. I have this, this imagery of dying of dehydration in the middle of the Pacific Ocean surrounded by undrinkable salt water. So let me clear up a few lies. No, everybody's not doing it. And no, you actually won't find what you're looking for. And no, more of the little bit you're doing right now that's not working is not the answer. And no, you don't have to do this to be sexy or desirable. And no, it's not harmless. I wish it was, but I didn't make it. So now this will give you a little insight into my fantastical imagination. But I imagine the world of sexual immorality like a dark and scary forest. Everybody say, ooh, ooh. But from my vantage point, looking in, I mean, it looks enchanted. There's Bambi drinking from streams of living water. I see a rainbow and a a parrot. There's a frog. So inviting. And every step you take, every time you go home with that guy or girl, every time you sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend, every time you 
look at porn every time you let your mind wander unchecked, but you do it again and again and again on repeat, slowly conforming your mind to the sexual patterns of this world, which is why sleeping around is like practicing having an affair because you're training your brain to always be looking ahead to its next sexual partner, which is why living together before marriage can be like rehearsing divorce one day because you're trained, you're cultivating this exit door mentality that can leave whenever it needs to, one decision at a time, one compromise at a time, one, one bowl of soup at a time, and before you know it, oh, it's not enchanted. It's haunted. Now, eyes up here. The grace of Jesus covers all. Or else, what are we doing here? And shame off of you, regardless of how far into this forest you've wandered. God's love is stronger than your mistakes. You are not more powerful than his grace. And I don't know your story. I don't need to because I know my God. And so no, you are not used up. And no, you are not too broken. And yes, Jesus wants you. And if you hear nothing else I say today, you hear this, forgiveness is not fragile. But consequences are real. You ever wonder why you seem to feel less and less whole as the years go by? It's because sexual immorality is not like other sin. There's a reason Paul says, flee from it. Do not call wisdom legalism. And for all the middle schoolers and high schoolers watching this right now, take it from a guy who did not, you are allowed to learn this the easy way. When Sam and I got married, she was a virgin and I was not. And I can tell you firsthand, do not pretend that you can walk out of this forest in eight weeks when you spend eight years of your life walking in. I can also tell you firsthand, more importantly, that Jesus can meet you right smack in the middle of this forest, make you a new creation, my sin, paid for by his blood, give you a new vision for a new future, regardless of your past. I can tell you full healing and restoration is possible. What was once impossible for man now suddenly becomes possible for God. And every step you take is worth it. You wanna know why you love comeback stories? Because God loves comeback stories. You're worth more than anything less than his ultimate best for your life. And the world is not as happy as it's gonna make you think. Statistics, my gosh, I hate this. Not my opinion right here. Statistics, they say that people who move in together before they get married end up getting divorced 73% of the time. And I know the city I'm in. I know the rooms I'm in. I love the stories of my brothers and sisters in this church. And I believe, if this is you, I believe in Jesus' name that your story will not be that statistic. I'll believe, even if you, if you don't believe that for yourself right now, I got you. Your story will not be that statistic because the very fact that you're here or watching this sets you apart from the majority of that statistic and shows me you actually do want God's best for your life, whether you realize it or not. 
but I'm one of your pastors, and I, I do premarital counseling, and I officiate weddings, and I have this haunting vision of strapping my friends into a roller coaster, fully knowing there's a 73% chance it's gonna crash and saying nothing, and I can't do that. People who regularly sleep around before they get married are 500%, five to six times more likely to have an affair one day. I, I hate that, but this is just reality. It's the world we live in, and yet our world is, is continuing to try to disciple us along this topic, and our souls are still singing what Bono sings. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, and we're getting fed through a fire hydrant that more of what you already are experiencing is what's gonna be the answer. The world continues to preach and disciple that you need to test drive the sexual relationship before you buy it and I look at the stats and go are we for real we're still on that we still like for real you need to see if you're compatible are you a male is she a female it's gonna work bro you're compatible newsflash you are sexually compatible with 3.9 billion other people on this planet but you don't need to go find out firsthand by all means please watch the bachelorette but please for the love of God do not get your sex advice from the bachelorette or your unhappy friends. If I'm trying to be financially free one day, I'm not gonna take financial advice from my broke cousin. And if I want a healthy and thriving marriage, I'm not gonna take my love and marriage advice from a wildly unhappy world with a 50% divorce rate. That is called insanity, and I want more for my life than what the world offers. You need to leave here today with a sexier vision of love than what the world is trying to sell you, amen? And if you, uh, oh, I need to say this. If you are living together before marriage right now, I have zero, I cannot tell you enough how I have zero judgment against you. I'd probably rather hang out with you than most religious people. I get it, and maybe you have different beliefs than me. Great. We're all imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. And I tend to take the posture of the Apostle Paul when he said, regardless of who I'm talking to, regardless of the room I'm in, I'm the biggest sinner in the room saved by grace. I tend to believe I'm just the most imperfect out, out of all of us, okay? And you do not have to agree with everything the pastors say at this church to call this place your home. And the reason I'm saying that is because there's a chance you had an experience before Red Rocks where you had to agree with everything the pastors said to call that place your home. You are allowed to be in process at Red Rocks. You're allowed to be in process here. I just know the human heart has something called Esau syndrome. So I'm gonna give you the same challenge I gave one of my best friends literally last month. I wanna ask you to ask God what he wants for you. He is not mad, he is not a wrist slapper. He's a dad. So ask your dad what he wants for you. And, and for some of you, you might hear separate rooms. Awesome. For some of you, you might hear a, a completely different direction, okay. Some of you might hear what my friend heard which was move out. And first of all, because I bet you anything, the moment you do, a lot of stuff is gonna surface that'll be good to talk about this side of your I do's 
Vows is our premarital counseling class. I've been through it, and now I teach it. It is amazing. It's this August. You can sign up now at our website or on our app. Strengthen your foundations for marriage. By the way, you know the best time to get counseling? Before you need it. My wife and I love marriage counseling. So do vows, man. And then, and I'm totally serious, let's get you married. And then move back in. And and I'm speaking from experience right here. Watch as God makes sex brand new for you all over again on your wedding night because the grace of Jesus is just that good. I don't say that because I read a verse. I say that because I've lived it. You follow me? God is not a formula. But at the same time, blessing just always seems to follow obedience. And I would hate for you to miss out on 50 years of that because you couldn't sleep on the couch for 50 nights. So there's my challenge. With grace and truth, zero judgment and only love. I have vivid memories of leaving Sam's house when we were dating and engaged, wanting at 2 a.m., all right, so wanting so bad to stay the night and not so we could cuddle. Um, and instead, getting into my car because staying the night's what I used to do. And now I find myself, it's 2 a.m., I live 30 minutes away, it's snowing, I'm exhausted, driving home, blasting music in my car to keep myself awake, just so sexually frustrated going home to take a cold shower and go to bed. And I'm thinking, God, for a 23-year-old, that's cruel. That is borderline cruelty is what it is. But true story, some of those drives are some of my most intimate memories with the big man upstairs. For real. Where I just felt him so clearly impress on my heart. Hey, buddy, I'm so proud of you. I love you so much, and had you stayed, I'd, I'd still love you just as much. And I know you don't fully understand even why you're doing this right now, but just know, thank you. With God, the right way is rarely the easy way. Sexually, financially. Oh, but you got royal blood in your veins. You're up for it. And there's something in your soul that's wired actually not for the road most traveled. So here's here's your challenge. Here's your assignment this week. Here's the prayer. You pray this. God, what is your vision for my sex life? Because when you have vision, you will not settle. God, what is your ultimate? He has a vision for your love life, your sex life, your marriage, your future marriage. So go to him and ask him to to download it to you. That's what's about to happen as we sing Echo Holy here in about five minutes. As we look vertically and sing to our God, I believe he's going to download fresh vision straight into your soul. Son, daughter, my child, here is the vision that I have for you and it is too good and you are worth too much to trade this for anything less. Because bowls of soup can be good if you catch my drift. I hate when Christians say, oh, sinning's not even fun. I'm like, well, you're not doing it right. Bowls of soup can be awesome, and they work until they don't. 
God, what is your vision for my sex life? Would you guys stand? My good friend Connor, uh, his grandparents in their living room on their coffee table, there's just some casual light reading. And it's a book, and the title of that book is Sex in Your Golden Years. And I love that probably because, Connor, it's your grandparents and not mine. But the reason I love it is because that is a couple with a vision for their sex life for their marriage, for their love. God's vision for love is too good to trade away and I refuse to give it up. I refuse to settle. I refuse to follow the patterns of this world. I refuse to let shame have the final say or boss me around. I refuse to let my past determine anything about the story God wants to write for my future. I'm choosing to believe that grace really is powerful enough to erase my mistakes and make me a new creation and give me a new vision and call me forward because I believe truth is beckoning me into something better. So I'm facing forward and I'm believing my wife and I one day will be more in love than we are now and still having sex in our golden years. Can somebody for me please just amen that. Lord, let it be. Let it be. The Bible says without vision, people perish. And I believe that's also true for marriages. Without vision, marriages perish. So I thought we'd do this. Let me speak some vision over you. Wherever you are in this room, at another campus, at home, would you, uh, would you close your eyes and just hold your hands out in front of you in a receiving posture, just like this and just receive, just receive this vision before we worship this amazing God who is, who is about to download straight to your soul. Your past does not have to be your future. That is entirely your decision. You can have a fresh start right here and right now. If you want it, it's yours. Shame is lying to you. The devil speaks lies like you speak English. Face something better. Forgiveness is not fragile, church. Our holy God is not an oppressor. He's a liberator here to set you free, here to remind you how good his grace is. Your parents' mistakes do not have to be yours. It is your decision. You are free to do it different and break strongholds and generational curses. Watch the grace of Jesus come in and murder shame and murder guilt and any kind of chains or bondage around the wrist of your souls right now. Hear them clinking and crashing on the ground right now. The grace of Jesus is here. For all the parents who have made those mistakes, God wants to write a new chapter in your life and it is better than what is behind you. The sun is dawning. Look towards the east. God wants to do something new in your life. You are swimming right now in an ocean of grace. You could not get out of it even if you tried. Let go of the past and give God the pen to write the next chapter. The world's statistics will not be your story. 
I see a future divorce rate cut in half. I see pornography addictions evaporating before our eyes. I see a new hunger for holiness. I am speaking intimacy and obedience over the younger generations, and I'm speaking passion and power over the older ones. I see an army of marriages like bright and shining lighthouses here to show off God's vision of love in order to inspire a world that has settled. I'm speaking a sexier vision for love and marriage over your life and your future. He has more for you, Christian, and he always will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive a download in Jesus' name. I love you guys.